Well, good morning, everyone. We don't, I don't normally, well, we don't normally do a Dharma talk on Monday. Um, but as I talk, you'll recognise perhaps I'm changing some of the way we do things. So I thought I'd do a Dharma talk today instead. Uh, and also, it's more fun than sitting right through the whole day. I know that. <laughs> um, so, specifically today, I just thought I'd talk about um, a general sense and view I have of the practice. Um, I think I was just sitting on the cushion thing. It's 2022, and I started practice in 1982. So it's 40 years of uh, a roundup of where I am, or what I think about the practice. And then I thought I'd set the tone uh, for perhaps inviting you to do a big, big mind process either tomorrow or another day. So that's, that's the background to the talk. So I just want to say a few general things and really feel free to join in or question me or ask me anything at all. And before I start, I just want to say how much I appreciate you all being here. I know it takes you got time off work, you can find the money, da, 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 da. so thank you for being here. Yeah. And I encourage you to make the most of the week now you've made the sacrifice. <laughs> The first thing I wanted to say, which is a question that comes up, is uh, there's, 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 from my experience, there's no separation between living a full life uh, and the idea of self-discovery and the idea of awakening, however you want to call it. Uh, they're all bound together. Um, there's no, there doesn't need to be any sense of separation. I think I say that because when I began my practice, the whole thrust uh, was this idea of giving, of giving up our lives. And I'm not sure who you gave them up to, but, <laughs> but you can, the practice can be full uh, by embracing your life, not, not giving it up. Um, so at the beginning, what I noticed for myself and for lots of people who started practice is that we often have a honeymoon. Uh, of quite intense experience and we think ah finally I've arrived home this is the place for me this is going to sort my life out and it's going to be fine uh, and it may, it may sort your life out but it's, it's not a quick hit it's not a quick fix um, and those moments of intense experience although they don't, don't disappear they become fewer and perhaps fewer um, and as practitioners we have to depend, then depend on our own resources to carry on uh, and if we persist in later years if we're fortunate we, we will discover that yes it was worth carrying on of course you'll never know unless you've got a doppelganger whether it was worth doing or not <laughs> <laughs> but there you go uh, yeah, and the thing about it being a honeymoon is that some people like uh, some people like consecutive honeymoons, so they go to lots of different places and dig lots of shallow wells. So, one honeymoon's enough. Uh, and at the end, we may discover that it was all a gateless gate. And one of the best ways to get in touch with our true selves. <coughs> which is not my originally thought is definitely through developing your own talents and doing the things that you love and playing your own role a full role in the drama of life whole life not just your life whole life uh, and within that if you can find within that, the being within your own life's purpose. When, when that feels right, it will be right. If it doesn't feel right, then possibly you're not going with the flow of your life. Uh, maybe uh, ego is forcing the issue. Um, and when we resist the flow of our lives, my experience and perhaps your own is that we definitely experience separation. Um, when we want the world to be other than it is. 
then we disconnect and uh, small self says I don't like this I don't want this to happen this is not in the script this is not the script I had uh, by the way I'm not I think I used this analogy in Liverpool I quite like it <laughs> don't know whether it really works I'm not advocating passivity at all uh, and there's that I don't know if you you know that metaphor of the two frogs and two glasses of milk and you put one one frog in one glass of milk and it doesn't make an effort and it sinks and it drowns put the frog in another glass of milk and it struggles and goes mad and the milk turns into butter and it climbs out <laughs> so. the other thing that's really important is that, a tran that the transcendental level the kind of realized experienced level is really important to at least have some insight into some experience of as well as the relative which I'll talk more about uh, because it's this, it's this dimension that definitely gives luminosity to our lives um, and, and this is a dimension that definitely speaks uh, to the deepest um, levels of our humanity, of our being and notwithstanding that we also have to follow the path to be walked that's represented by the relative, by the relative truth. This is something we understand, something we know about, we can practice and we can work with, but we need to work with both. Uh, the absolute inadequacy in itself and the relative's inadequacy in itself. So. When people ask me, and I don't know that anybody else has this, even now after 40 years if people say are you a Buddhist am I a Buddhist uh, any answer I can think of seems almost irrelevant <laughs> so what you know what it's not who you are or what you are it's what's taking place in your life right now that seems to me that's interesting uh, and in over a long period of time the strange thing is that the practice Zen practice anyway particularly seems to self-destruct <laughs> what is it you know exactly is this what is this uh, and then finally before I talk about the various levels of practice my own experience and uh, is that any clarity or awakening or understandings that we have usually arise when we're feeling most vulnerable and most awkward <laughs> and, and when we most would like not to be where we are uh, And change and transformation will definitely take place whether you want it to or not. <laughs> whether you want to be on board or not, it will happen. Um, so I'm, going to, I'm now going to talk about the various levels in traditional practice of, 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 of development, if you like. I'm not sure. But all these stages and all these ideas of development, they're, they're, they're circular. You know, there's no fixed place. Where, you, where you're an experienced person or you're a beginner or you have a fantastic realization or you're in the fog and you don't know which way to move it all rotates there isn't any one fixed place that I've ever experienced of being um, so I'm, I'm, any, 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 anything come up for anyone as I've spoken now any objections, agreements, disagreements, reflections Does it all resonate with your own lives? Yeah? No? Yeah? Yeah. I, I think for me, Ed, as you say, seeing, seeing that there is no fixed place, yeah. either out there 
or in here. It's, kind of, it's <laughs> yeah. all in, all in movement all the time. All it's, in it's a sort yeah. of insight. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. Sorry, twenty years of calling John John. I have to call. <laughs> I, I, he's sensei now, but but many years of calling John. <laughs> sensei, thank you. I was thinking about how do you know when it feels right? How do you know? Yeah, like uh, reflecting on life. It's a really interesting question because it kind of. Because the question doesn't arise when it feels right, <laughs> I think. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think that's, you think that's true? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm thinking about times in your life and I'm Sure, does it feel right to think it feels yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Was it right? What is right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you ask that question, I think I've talked about it before, but what always comes up for me is, I don't know anybody else's, when you're waiting for change or something to happen, and you, and you, and you, got, you think, I'll trust in the universe, you know, it will happen, the right thing will happen. And then you get bored, and you take it by the neck anyway, and you don't wait. <laughs> And I, that, so I, and I don't know, you know, when you do that, when, when do you actually, you know, go for it, or when, or when do you wait? Yeah. Okay, there are, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are a few ways of, this is this, I'm talking now about development in, in, the, in the context of a big mind, but uh, within the tradition, there are there is something called the five ranks, which we which 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 if you do a lot of cones right toward the end, you'll do the five ranks, which describe the various different levels. Um, but I'll just keep it as simple as possible and see if any of these resonate for you. And of course, <coughs> bear in mind what I said that none of these are a fixed place; everything moves. So, so yeah. So I put my version of stages of development. Uh, and I've, I put all the circular and each stage feeds off and into the next stage and it becomes a complex tapestry of feedback um, <clears throat> but from so number one is the development of a self-aware ego number one and I'll, I'll expand on that in a second number two is the experience of no self I know ego and its embodiment. And number three <coughs> is transcending and embracing both these things, the, the ego and the no self, um, embracing them both, transcending them and developing the Bodhisattva ideal, which is what the root of this whole practice is about, Mahayana. Um, that's that's a three-stage, break it down, it could be five. One is the gradual development of a sense of self or ego, uh, leading to a healthier life uh, and being able to self-affirm and be assertive. And then after that, you begin the practice of loosening up your hold on the idea of a solid self. Seeing that in varying degrees, it has become too identified, this is the small self or ego, but too identified with its own needs and it starts to create walls and barriers and defences and then suffering begins. We're in our prison protecting ourselves. The fourth stage is again an experience of no self and the fifth stage uh, using Genpa Roshi's is the integration of a free functioning self. So you can move freely in the world appropriately, whether in the relative or whether you're in the non-dual. Um, but for, for most of us, uh, our, our first part of our practice is definitely, although it gets, and I've, you know, in, in Zen the self can get a bad press, um, which is a mistake. So I'll just read you uh, this. It's handwritten, so I'll, I'll take my glasses off. No. And stop me at any time if you think any of this doesn't jive for you or doesn't feel right. And uh, um, we have 
several folk here who work in therapy or as therapists and forgive me if I cross any, <laughs> any therapy boundaries about what, what you know, what, well, you, you, as I read it you'll see, you may disagree with me. Okay. So number one, creation of a self-aware ego. Buddhism, Buddhism is essentially a practical system not concerned with abstract philosophies but with the nuts and bolts of how to lead a balanced and realized life. Its initial priority is with the inner world rather than the external world. And why? Why, why, why would its priority be with the inner world rather than the external world? You'll carry on? Nobody got an answer to that? You could Go. say that without being fanciful, that the external world we create yeah. by our internal world. Yeah, through our inner world, yeah. So, yeah, I've said <clears throat> its initial priority is with the inner world rather than the external world, and this is because uh, a realization. That how we experience the world is almost 100% conditioned by our own inner being. Our experience when we examine the inner world is that we each have a self or a set of ideas and feelings that arise from our personal experiences maybe our genetics, our culture, and that we give and that we use, that we use these personal experience to give ourselves a sense of unity, coherence and individuality, but it's, it conditions completely how we experience the external world. The external world doesn't have any absolute value. At this practical level, the self is a fact and a vital one. And without this sense of self, we could not order our physical or psychological lives. The existence of this self is a practical reality. In traditional, now this is the difference, this is what's interesting. In traditional Zen practice, this is taken for granted. And it is assumed that the seeker or practitioner as an established and relatively balanced conscious individual with a stable sense of self. This does not, however, assume any depth of self-awareness. So, at a practical level, if you wanted to join a traditional Zen monastery, traditionally you'd have to sit outside on a bench, if, you, if you're lucky, of the temple gate. And every now and again, one of the monks would come out and harass you and say, he's a bugger off and hit you with a stick. And, and you'd stay and you wouldn't go. And finally, they'd let you in after a week, maybe. So you've demonstrated that you really want to do it. You know, you really want to be in there. If we did that here, we'd, we'd, this would be an empty room, of course. <laughs> no, none of us would be, and I wouldn't be here either, because I wouldn't stand for that either. Uh, so, and, and, and why I'm saying all this is because when I began Zen, I didn't know any of this. I mean, Zen was just like, ah. But, so, in traditional practice, there's no developmental mode of complexity of the ego as it's understood in, in, in a Western therapeutic sense. I mean, it's just taken for granted it's there. <clears throat> Whereas in the West, the development of a sense of self which leads to a healthy way of being, uh, yeah, is, is important. Self-aware, self-affirming ego is an important thing to develop. And, you know, anybody that's been in therapy or a therapist will, will tell you that that's not plain sailing, it's a long-winded business. 
uh, and the spectrum of ego development can can be start from the healthy or, or, or the deeply wounded um, and what I realized is that you know that this idea of uh, if a sense of self that we then within the traditional practice talk about dropping off body and mind if this essential sense of self is not is already fractured and not developed then it, it can create real problems for the practitioner and for the teacher um, yeah I don't know if, any, if that resonates for anyone but you know Genpo Roshi, Roshi, Roshi used to say you can't drop off body and mind, you can't drop off a sense of self unless you've got one that's developed. So when you drop it off, it makes a nice heavy stud on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a... Pardon? What do I mean by dropping the ego? No. How many do you manage to do it? How did I manage to I haven't. <laughs> it's a long process of loosening its grip and, and it's only I mean the whole essence of this practice is about the relief of suffering and about how do we come to terms with what many of us feel which is a sense of lack in our lives how do we come to terms with that? You know, and, and, and we can come to terms with it in two ways. We can fill the lack or we can accept that we can't fill the lack and we include the lack in our lives and embrace it. Um, I don't know That there's any, I don't know that it's healthy to, well I don't, I don't actually practically know anybody that doesn't in some ways manifest an ego. But it's, it depends how much of a grip it's got on you, how much does it condition your life, you know, and does it, is it causing you unhappiness by the way you experience the world. That, that's the crux of it. And if it doesn't, then it's fine. You know, uh, Absolutely don't do this practice unless you need to. <laughs> if you're feeling fine and everything's okay in your life and you, if you're confident, then great. Yeah. Uh, but dropping the idea of a self when you've not yet clearly formed it uh, and, be, and, 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 and being happy with who you are, yeah, it's scary. It's scary. I mean, I think anybody that's been in practice for a while will know how scary it is when suddenly it dawns on you that, the sense of self is starting to kind of dislocate and disappear and uh, what will be there? What will be left? Will I be able to function? Um, And Dogen very clearly acknowledges this uh, in the Genjo Koan when he talks about the way of the Buddha is to learn about oneself. You can't hope to investigate no self until we accept the, let's call it the empirical reality of the self's existence. So, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but I think it's worth it. This self is clearly essential as a means of physical preservation. Because it allows us to fix limits between the self and the not-self. The individual defends himself or herself against the world. And we need that. Thus, we must accord the self-reality status. And thus the ideas, concepts and feelings that go up to make this self stem from our inborn temperament and drives together with all the things that we've learned, all the memories, all the what's gone on in our lives. 
So the sovereign ego is needed. Why do you think it gets a bad press? If it's needed, why does it get such a bad press in the Buddhist tradition? Because we get stuck in it. Get stuck in it, yeah. Yeah. The source of our desires, our cravings. Our cravings, anxieties, yeah. Causes problems for other people. Causes problems for other people, for sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, causes problems for other people. Anyone else? Why, why, why would, why, why would we, why, why, why does it get, why does it get a bad press? We're more likely to be stuck on that than we are stuck on, stuck on the alternative. So yeah. that's the focus for the, Yeah, it's the focus for practice, yeah. Yeah, we're more likely to be stuck uh, with ourselves than stuck on the top of a mountain feeling free looking down on humanity, thinking, oh, everything's great. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it disconnects you with what it means to be human. Yeah. Thank you. That's really important, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when, when, when we, when we recognise our own conditionings, our own way of being, the way we're all, our, 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 our needs, we can at least be more sympathetic with other folk who are acting in ways which we might think are unkind or piss us off or, you know, you, let's forgive them. Um, I think, just occurring to me, I think the self gets a bad press because it's the self that suffers. Yeah. It's my self that suffers. Yeah. And I don't like it. I don't yeah. like suffering. Yeah. So I want to get rid of it. Yeah. So the idea becomes get rid of this yeah. difficult self. Yeah. Sticks around though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's an analogy somebody, it's not my own, I've just I've written a precy of it that explains the difference between the relative and the absolute in physical terms and this person, I like it. So from a quantum physics perspective, a brick is empty space. So a brick from a quantum physics perspective is empty space. It's just energy. However, knowing this is of no help if someone throws a brick at you and you don't think it's solid, and you don't duck. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, physical survival depends on seeing both the brick and the self as solid and real. The same goes for the psychological, for psychological survival, creating boundaries, etc., etc. It's the same the other way around. The views of the brick is solid, and that a self really exists is a delusion. And that's what's really hard for us to embrace, it's that paradox that the brick is real, it's also actually empty. <clears throat> Thus we live in a world of self and not self, and our effectiveness as human beings demands that we treat both as being real. Okay, this is, this is not why I've, I've copied this from somebody who, why we, why we need to drop, why we need to drop the idea of self. This is somebody else. Because essential as self-assertion is, once it has become fully realized, it can quickly develop into a threat, not only to the individual's relationship with others, but to their own psychological and spiritual progress. If we're too identified with the self, negative behavior arises um, because the assertive self wants to fulfill its own wishes and plans. The individual is psychologically healthy and well integrated and organized at the ego level but he or she is now mistaking the reality of the asserted self for an ultimate reality. 
and devoting energy to its maintenance and gratification. Self-assertion gone too far equals over-identification with the self and it causes suffering. That's, that's the kind of summary of, 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 of the essence of the practice. Okay. Now, stage three. This is where we, we've... Uh, the integration of the, sm of the small self and the no-self. And again, I've written, I've copied, I've highlighted this from something I read. The threshold of awareness between the natural clarity of non-duality and the appearance, appearances of our relative world is a place of power. Not personal power, but the innate power or vitality present in the manifestation of life itself. This vitality is an aspect of Buddha nature that is present for each of us. We may have many different ways of naming it to make sense of it. For some, we may call it spirit. For others, we may call it divine energy. For others, we call it God. But it lies at the heart of our reality. And this vitality is embodied in a dimension of Buddha nature which we call Sambo, Bo, Sambo Bakaya Buddha. Sambo Bakaya, Sambo Bakaya Buddha, which literally is the complete enjoyment body. Now there's something we're aspiring for, the complete <laughs> enjoyment body. And it has a powerful energy. And as a Bodhisattva's awareness deepens, the capacity to open to this power grows. I thought this would interest you all because it's like something in there for me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get some more power and vitality. In Buddhism, the root of this power is our own innate Buddha nature. It is our own inner potential, once described as a source of limitless, blissful energy. As we awaken this inner vitality, we become a vehicle for its creative expression in the world. This brings about the power to manifest and thereby affect others in the world around us, to influence, to heal and not to harm. It is therefore crucial that we recognise this power rather than fear it. As our inner power grows, it is vital to skillfully channel it. So, what is it? What, what is this? What is this life force? Anybody? Anybody? What is it? What goes on? Where, where's it? Come? What is, what's, what's it about? And have you? Do you experience it? Have you felt it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think any, I mean, I'm just talking pragmatically, but certainly if you've done quite a lot of retreats, you, you will, I'm, I'm sure, will, usually by day four or five, you're bursting with ideas and things. You want to get back into the world and do stuff. And you think, oh, I'm finished with this session. Now I want to get out there and go. And that, that, that's, that's that energy. And I don't know what it is, but it definitely arises. Sexy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Um, but what do we do when we get back to our lives and the things that we need to pour our energy into are dishes and looking after your wife and, you know, yeah. all of that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very ordinary life that that energy has to, has to, um, manifest in. Manifest, yeah. Yeah. But it, do you agree that it definitely has more juice and vibrancy? Yeah. 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 Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can stick. <laughs> 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 
Like ego boosting, yeah, there as well, yeah. which is feels yeah. contradictory to yeah. that happening when maybe the ego is loosening up, dropping mm. up a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's not just like our lives. The practice is full of paradoxes. Mm. Yeah, and what I say today and what you say today, we may say something completely different tomorrow. But it'll be as valid for us then as it was today, or, or maybe just a different perspective. I mean, it is fascinating perspective. I mean, my perspective now is totally different. Well, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you, and your perspective is looking this way. And it's really different. So how I'm feeling now, what I'm saying, and what I'm just conditioned by what I'm seeing, and what you're responding to is what you're seeing. And that's, that's 24-7, that's going on all the time. And yet, you know, we do feel more comfortable with a fixed perspective and a fixed idea and a fixed place to stand. I mean, interestingly, I think most people come into the practice because what they're really looking for is somewhere solid to stand. Somewhere where they can feel rooted and, and in fact, the practice is all about kicking away everything that you can stand on. <laughs> so that you, you can stand in the in the flow, if you like. Yeah. So we read you what Dogen calls the one bright pearl, which uh, I'll read it to you. It's it's thus, though on the surface there may seem to be change or no change, i.e., enlightenment or no enlightenment. The shapes and sounds of the bright pearl are seen in this way, saying to yourself, it is so. Do not doubt that you yourself are the bright pearl by thinking, I am not the bright pearl. Confusion and doubts, affirmations and negations, these are nothing but the ephemeral small responses of ordinary folk. That's us. However, still, they are the bright pearl appearing as small, ephemeral folk. <laughs> Responses of folk, yeah. Should we not appreciate it? The bright pearls, the br bright pearls colors and brilliance are boundless. Color after color and every scintillation of light are the merit of the whole universe. Could anything ever snatch them away? Would anyone ever toss away even a simple roof tile in the marketplace while looking for the bright pearl? Do not be anxious about being reborn in one of the six realms of cause and effect. The bright pearl, which from beginning to end is essentially uninvolved with cause and effect, is your original face, your, your enlightened nature. The bright pearl, which from beginning to end is essentially uninvolved with cause and effect, is your original face, your enlightened nature. So if tomorrow or whenever I invite you to do Big Mind, remember that line, the bright pearl, which from beginning to end is essentially uninvolved with cause and effect, is your original face. However, you and I unaware of what the bright pearl is and is not, entertain countless doubts and non-doubts about it and turn them into indisputable fodder for the mind. But my expression, oh sorry, Dogen's expressions made it clear that our, that our own minds and bodies are the one bright pearl. And so we realize that our minds are not ours who can be anxious as to whether birth and death are or are not the bright pearl? Even if there is doubt and anxiety, they are themselves the bright pearl. There is not a single activity or thought that is not the bright pearl. And Wang Po says, 
even though they do their utmost for a full aeon, aeon folk will not attain it. They do not know that if they put a stop to conceptual thoughts and forget their anxiety, the Buddha will appear before them. For this mind is the Buddha, and the Buddha is all living beings. It is not the less for being manifested in ordinary beings, nor is it greater for being manifested in Buddhas. It is not less for being manifested in ordinary beings, nor is it greater for being manifested in Buddhas. So guess what? We're all equal. <laughs> we really are. We're all equal. No? You don't agree? <laughs> okay. Because already you dress differently. Yeah. So there's already that hierarchy. Yeah. So oh yeah, but that but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true at a relative level. But uh, you don't need to feel that way. It's more perception. Pardon? It's more perception. Your perception, yeah. If you want to have a come and have a cup of tea with me and teach me how to make croissant, I'll be your student. <laughs> and I'll be very happy. It's, it's perception, yeah. But it's true as well. And, you know, the world is unfair. It is unjust. Awful things do go on. Thank you. Does anybody feel like a bright pearl? I am. Same as guaranteed you're a bright pearl. You, you don't even have to polish your head, you know. <laughs> practice is it's, it's for your life it's not going to change you know and and the things that we wrestle with when we're younger be are different things that we wrestle with when we're older and the answers and clarity that we have at one time don't work another time uh, but it seems to me the crucial thing is is, is uh, the awareness, awareness, awareness that the way we're experiencing the world is our own responsibility. That doesn't mean we that doesn't mean we don't act in a, in, in ways that will change the world in ways we would like it to. But we have to be clear when we're doing that that we're not bringing our own conditioning and prejudices to bear. Which we will anyway. Which we will anyway, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I ask you a question, how would it be for you, Guru, if you suddenly woke up one morning and felt settled and fine and life was okay <laughs> and there was nothing more to be done? Well, you know, by lunchtime, that thought would have gone. <laughs> You'd be bored, yeah. <laughs> so this would game if you could <laughs> I mean, we have to keep remembering all the time that, you know, the, the, often if we, were, if we were offered an alternative from the uncomfortable place we're in, we wouldn't take it if we were really offered it, because who else is going to lead your life? Your life is a completely unique life, and only you can lead it. 
Pardon? All the others are taken, yeah. <laughs> There's a Jewish legend of the sorrow tree. Uh, what at was that? point, you get asked, you can swap your sorrows with anybody else and try yeah. and find someone who's had a less sorrowful life. Yeah. And everyone that goes ends up walking away with their own sorrow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> Anyone else? What's your own experience of, of either as a person who's just started or a person who's been in the practice a long time? And what's your own experience? Uh, I could say that it has certain attributes to it that light, that pearl yeah. of creativeness, creative, compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Includes everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I understand how it can play even, let's say, the game of a hurt self, or because it's creative, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Of course, your experience is going to be very different than mine. My, you know, from my perspective. Of in my age and how many years I've been in the practice, it will be different, and it should be different. Uh, you know, and I really hope that your hair's on fire. <laughs> Sorry. <Can I? coughs> um, sometimes I might feel like bright pearl, but then I realise I, I might actually be causing harm or suffering to someone or something. Mm. So then it's like bubbles there. Mm. So what? So was I just like deluded? And what does it feel like to be the bright pearl? Or is it some sort of, um, yeah, you're just kidding? Oh, am I just kidding myself all the time? I think the crucial thing is what was your intention? What bottom line? What, 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 what's your intention? What, how are you intending to lead your life? What are you intending to bring to the world? And if that is kind, then of course you're going to make mistakes as well. <laughs> we all do. We all, we all cause upset and suffering, but sometimes by our wishes to be kind and yeah. Sad, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Well, actually, I was just thinking about your quote from Dogen there, in relation to what Josh has just said. That uh, it, even at the point that you think, okay, I was the bright pearl this morning, but I'm the not so bright pearl now this afternoon. Even thinking that, you are the bright pearl. Yeah. Even that. Mm. But th this this thing of um, you know, letting go. If I realise I am the bright pearl, then that, that suggests something sexy, something I want. Um, and yet that means, that means I've got to let go of so much stuff. Like 70 years of manufacturing a, an identity which says, you're not the bright pearl. You're, a, you're not a pearl at all. You know, you're a struggling human being. But, yeah. So it's... Uh, difficult. I think the resistance to that we all have to being embodying and being the bright pearl is that it carries a lot of responsibility. Mm. <laughs> if you really do know that I am, you are, we are, then yeah there's less forgiveness for yourself in a way than if you didn't know and you were just acting blindly, you know. And, and that, that comes for us all, you know, really 100% accepting responsibility for our own lives is, is, is tough. We'd all like to, you know, <laughs> yeah, delegate it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Subcontracted out. 
were talking about that, I was so excited. Like it makes me, um, I feel creative and happy and I believe that everybody has that potential. Yeah. And I think there's a balance of like, we have to take 100% ownership and do the hard work, what's necessary and also create that time and space to connect with God mm. and have that level of awareness. Mm. And I think about <laughs> when I felt like the bright pearl when I first come back from being away and I was working down south and I, I really wanted to share what I'd learned and um, I left my job and moved back home and it was the most challenging time in my life because mm, mm. I got sick and then my mum was in hospital and there was loads of things that happened but there was like a spirit and I think that it's like this like I've about this before like this trust mm. like trusting in that spirit the problem with being a bright pearl is that other people other people can be irritated for <laughs> 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 sure they always give me a bright bell yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to finish. Got to finish. I just want to ask you one, one last thing. How do you take what we've been talking about today back to the cushion? We're already on the cushion. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we are. We are always on the cushion. Is that right? Is that like I want you to just bear that in mind. What are you going to What are you going to take back? Um, and one final sweetness from the bright pearl, which I thought of when I was sitting. I'll tell you the backdrop to it. Usually on session, I, when the week starts. I get really worried for folk who've, who haven't done a lot of sitting because I know that it's difficult and it's tough. And, and usually the worst, the time when it really grinds is in the afternoon. The three afternoon periods are often the most tough. And I don't, wanna, I don't, I don't want to deprive you of that. <laughs> <laughs> but equally, I thought it would be Anyway, I'll tell you what I've, what I've decided. We'll see how it goes. We're going to start uh, at 4.15, not 4 o'clock, and we're going to do three periods of 25 minutes instead of three periods of 30. Just to, you know, just to take a... Loosen the screw a bit, put it that way. <laughs> Maybe by Thursday and Friday when you're all going cold, we'll screw it in again. <laughs> but for, for now, we're going to do start at 4.15, three periods of 25, and that's it. Okay, so you'll have another 15 minutes to walk or sleep or whatever. And we don't have to wear robes. Uh, oh, we? yeah, in the afternoons, you don't wear robes. Afternoons is civvies, so, yeah. No dressing up for the afternoon. <laughs> Thank you everyone. Thanks. <laughs>